Welcome to another edition of the APA Podcast. This episode is brought to you by ENCODE Plus. Would you like to make your development regulations online and fully interactive? Wish your GIS map was online with links to the zoning districts and standards? With ENCODE Plus, all this is possible. This cloud-based software manages your ordinance content and publishes it to the web. Plus, you're able to update and manage in-house. Communities both big and small have trusted the planners of Kendig Keist Collaborative and ENCODE Plus to make their codes more usable, helpful, and accessible. They're now a partner with MuniCode, the nation's largest codifier. Visit www.encodeplus.com, email info at encodeplus.com, or call 281-302-5847. Get ENCODE Plus today. This episode of the APA podcast features the February 2016 Tuesdays at APA program recorded in APA's Washington, D.C. office. The discussion focused on results of the recent National Association of Realtors poll of residents in the 50 largest metropolitan areas in the U.S. The featured speaker in this episode is Hugh Morris, AICP. Morris is manager of the Smart Growth Program for the National Association of Realtors. I'm a planner by training. Um, I've been working with the National Association of Realtors for about 10 years um, doing uh, planning work. And mostly what I do is I work in the, the smart growth program that their realtors have. They started it almost 15 years ago. And um, with the idea of keeping an eye on kind of what this smart growth thing is. So it's kind of started as a defensive um posture on their part, um, and grew into what is now, I would call it sort of smart growth advocacy. And most of what I do, and there are three or four, four of us who work in the smart growth area at NAR, is we provide um, resources to mostly the 1,400 local realtor associations around the country, but also some of the states use them, to help them get involved in local land use planning, transportation planning efforts. Um, one thing we do is uh, give out grants to these local associations that very often they then contribute to a larger community effort, um, you know, whether it is uh, to help sort of fund a, a new master plan or a charrette about developing an area, transportation plans, com- complete streets policies, uh, those, those sorts of things. Um, we have now over a million members. Um, and um, we've been doing this survey, surveys like this, for a, a decade now. We do them every two years. And uh, this year, though, we joined forces with a, um, a researcher at Portland State University. Her name is Jennifer Dill. She teaches in the planning department there. And um, she does a lot of uh, bicycle, in particular, but pedestrian um, uh, planning research. And we, uh, in their survey, did a kind of a deep dive on um, transit and walking and biking and um, uh, into that. And so one of the virtues of um, collaborating is that we got a bigger sample size than we uh, have ever um, ever used. So this time we did the 50 largest metro areas in the, in the U.S. And we picked up um, Thousand responses by phone, and you can see the um, 
the landline and cell phone split there. Um, and then we got onto this thing called YouGov, uh, which we had not used before, but it's crazy cheap. And so we got 2,000 more responses, uh, online responses that way. And um, So there are the metro areas we, we picked up the data from. Um, and, and so if there, I'm going to break this into some sections, but this first one is about, about travel. Um, and we asked people whether they like to travel by um, transit. So these bars are generational bars. The beauty of this giant sample is that we were able to slice and dice the data sometimes three three different ways. This is, but we did a lot of generational. So this is millennials, Gen Xers, baby boomers, and um, final and greatest generation. And we asked them if they liked just liked to travel by transit, driving, walking, and riding a bike. And um, so for each. Uh, cohort, um, walking and driving were the, the highest responses. But what's kind of interesting is the millennials had the biggest gap between walking, which is like 83%, and driving 71%. So that's a 12 percentage point gap, which was larger than the, the Gen Xers and baby boomers. And by the time you get over here, it's flipped. Um, so that was kind of a, an interesting window. Um, millennials also seem to be most the most likely to walk for transportation purposes. So the red bars are the millennials in each of these sets. So this is um, walking to or from school, walking to or from public transportation, taking children to school. And you can see the millennials kind of dip down there because they're are just kind of moving into that stage of life. Um, running errands and just for, for exercise, where they, you know, they were kind of spiked on the other three, where you have a real trip purpose, walking just for the sake of walking for exercise, um, they, weren't, they weren't showing up there as strongly as some of the other cohorts. Just make sure that's... Um, we ask uh, every we ask these transportation policy questions uh, every time we've we've done this survey, um, just to sort of see where what people are feeling about where the um, transportation money fund should be spent. Um, and this is always the answer we get, which is that people far and away feel that the resources should be spent on maintaining what we've already built. Um, and so here you can see. This is maintaining and repairing roads, building more roads, expanding public transportation, um, providing convenient alternatives to driving, such as walking, biking, um, and building, developing communities where people do not have to drive long distances, and then building more sidewalks and building more bike paths. So the maintenance, you know, won out again, as it always does. Um, but for the millennials, that was not their 
you know, it was still strong for them, but it, it didn't eat, um, beat out the other age cohorts. Um, but for the millennials, it was um, the transportation, public transportation, and uh, walking and driving, and I mean, sorry, um, walking and biking, and then um, developing communities where people could walk more. So that's, they sure showed, showed their stripes there that we hear about. And then this is just another slice of the same same data, but it sort of it lumps everyone together. So that this first dark bar is people who said that this was extremely important, basically. So um, maintaining and repairing roads, 44% labeled that um, extremely high. And then the building more roads, expanding public transportation, and providing convenient alternatives all kind of roughly fell in line together when you lumped everyone. But as as we've been hearing, the you know, the federal transportation fund isn't what it used to be, and um, and nothing's been done about it for for decades. So we asked people how they would like to pay for all this, and we got 25% saying they didn't know, 28% saying do not replace the the tax revenue that's been lost. But then these other three, uh, where if you can combine them, I think it, these add up to 45% basically some willingness to to um, uh, to pay for to pay more for, for transportation services whether it's increasing uh, tolls or more toll roads increase the gas tax or replace the, the gas tax with the BMT tax so you know that they're smaller than these numbers but you lump them all together and there's some willingness there So some housing preferences, we've sort of now asked um, some questions about how people are want to live, where they want to live, and, and sort of juxtapose that with um, sort of a, a housing type, a housing structure type with how they want to relate to their community in, in terms of, mostly in terms of transportation. <coughs> so you can see, here's, here's what their preferences were. Um, the question was, if you were deciding today where to live, please indicate how important having each of the, these, the following is to you. Um, so sidewalks and places to take walks uh, came out ahead. Um, easy access to the highway. Um, but then, you know, equal to that was being within easy walking distance of other, other places in your community and being within a short commute of, of work. Um, what's interesting to me throughout this is we did a, a lot of questions on biking and bike paths, and the numbers weren't as robust or as strong as I kind of anticipated, particularly focusing on major metro areas, the few largest metro areas. Um, and, and we did just uh, pick up the data in mid-May, so that the weather was probably you know, roughly pretty good um, all over. So I was kind of expecting the, the bike to, to be a little stronger than it. Um, there are some uh, uh, preferences about um, what people want um, by, by generation. So um, the millennials, again, are the, the red bar on the right, of, on the left of each cluster. So the first cluster is um, sidewalks, 
being within a short uh, commute to work, easy access to the highway, the millennials don't seem to care about that because they're all living in the city, um, being within easy walk of other places and things in the community, so that um, spikes for the millennials, and then having public um, transit nearby. Bike lanes and bike paths, again, it's kind of interesting, goes to the uh, winning hand goes to the Gen Xers there. Um, so the title here is Women Value Walkability More Than Men Do, but in fact, if you look at this, they value transportation more than men do. <laughs> um, so certainly, you know, here with sidewalks and places to take, take walks, um, women in, represented here in red um, uh, take the commanding lead, but but so too in the the other other modes there. So then we asked a question on um, a preference between walkable mixed use communities and conventional suburban communities. We didn't. Um, we did not use these terms in the survey that you see here in parentheses, walkable community and, and conventional suburb. We just described um, this and we asked them, you know, <coughs> so community A houses with large yards and, have, and you have to drive to the places you need to go. And community B houses with smaller yards and it's easy to walk to places you need to go. And so which would be your preferred? And the walkable community won out, though really kind of within the margin of error. Uh, so it's a, about an even split. Now, if you then look at that by um, by generation, the walkable community was really preferred by by the millennials, 51% of them, and the baby boomers, whereas the Gen Xers, which you know may be more in the, the child rearing stage, I don't know, and if that you know holds true about migrating to the suburbs. Um, so that might have might account for that that swing. Um, I don't know. Um, <coughs> and then we twisted the question just a little bit. And so on on this one the walkable community was on the right side. On the next one, just to confuse you, it's on the left side. Um, but we also it, you know the description is a little different. So it's um, owner rent an apartment town or townhouse and you have easy walk to shops, restaurants, and a shorter commute. So we threw the commute in there. We made it uh, an attached dwelling um, versus a detached <coughs> dwelling that you would own or rent, a single family house, and you have to drive to places you want to go. So, and in that case, that scenario, the, um, the detached one out. So, Maybe that American dream is, is still alive, right? People aren't quite willing to make that trade to the attached housing to have that walkable community. But you slice that up by the generations, and the millennials are still 51% leaning towards the walkable community. So the millennials are kind of willing to make that, hold on to that. That's it was important to them. Uh, the others slid, like the baby boomers, which were 51% the walkable community the first time around, slid this way to the detached. That's what's more important to them. Uh, 
Um, so the question people are asking is like, what happens when the millennials have kids? Are they going to move um, and all that? And we cannot. This is as close as we could get to answering that question. So um, we took um, all the people who said they would walk in, like to live in a, a walkable community with the, with the attached um, house, and we broke it into respondents that had kids in the household and ones that did not. Now, we did not ask their the kids' age, which would have been telling. Um, but here are the millennials. So they are kind of, they're just split. It really doesn't matter, you know, whether they have kids or not. They're kind of their preference, albeit slightly, is for the walkable community. Um, but you get into the Gen Xers and you see a, a, a stronger preference um, the ones without kids to live in the walkable community, and then the um, baby boomers—it's it's within the margin of error, but slight preference for the um, for the walkable by the folks who have no kids. Yet. So by twenty twenty, it would have been nice to know the kids' ages. Um, you know, if, for the folks here in the millennial generation, if they had kids, if they weren't of school age yet, that would have been an interesting way to. All right, so here, most people live in detached homes. So this is um, um, there are a lot of bars on the screen. So, but this is like <laughs> uh, the orange is single family detached. These are all the different zones in the country. Southwest, South, New York City gets its own um, cluster. Los Angeles is here, and then. Um, by race, by income, uh, this is no kids, kids, and then um, and this is by generation. So the millennials here, Gen X, baby boomers, silent generation, and then this is just the total. So overall, 60% of folks that we surveyed live in single-family detached dwellings. Now, what's kind of interesting is <coughs> there seems to be a mismatch. So 25% of people who live in detached houses would actually prefer to be in an apartment or townhouse in a more walkable community. They're not living where they want. Um, and then 13% would switch that. They live in an attached home, but would prefer um, one that isn't. Um, and then these people are living where they want to, <laughs> whether it's attached home or a detached home. Now, what's kind of interesting is that the biggest mismatch occurs at the highest income level. So households with over $100,000 in income have the mis 31% uh, mismatch, live in detached, prefers attached. So the orange live in detached, prefers attached. The next bar is live in attached, prefers detached. And then these two are people who are living where they want to live. Anyway, that was kind of interesting. Um, a little bit, we asked them if uh, for, for each of these, I'll, I'll read them. Please indicate whether or not you agree or disagree um, 
with this. There are, there are bike lanes, so orange is strongly agree, and it kind of goes down from there. So the top one is, there are bike lanes and paths nearby, 33% strongly agree that that is so in their community. There are lots of places to walk to. There is public transit nearby. There are parks within walking distance. And there are sidewalks on most of the streets. So, so as the top says, most of the people have sidewalks available, um, but fewer have places to actually walk to. Now, millennials, so this is, um, well, and then now we slice it up by, by generation. Um, and so the millennials are the leftmost bar in each cluster. And um, here are the responses. So there are lots of places to walk nearby, such as shops, cafes, restaurants. And this is the percent strongly agreeing to that. So 38% of millennials said that there are lots of those things nearby. Um, this is parks within walking distance, sidewalks on most of the streets. Now, curiously, the millennials like to walk a lot, but they are coming with the lowest percentage of sidewalks on most of the streets, which I kind of thought was curious. I can't quite explain that. Um, bike lanes and paths nearby, and there is public transit nearby. So here, this, so this is really the, the last slide um, that I've got. And I always have to think about this, because this is another one where we sliced it up three different ways. So pardon me for a moment, but look. But, um, I'm going to ignore the pie chart. So on this bar chart, what it's, what it's saying is people who strongly agree that there are places to walk nearby, such as shops, cafes, etc., show the strongest level of satisfaction with their neighborhood. You know, don't know if it's causal, but but that's kind of what we what we've got. Ah, the end. <laughs> wow. Glad I didn't have it earlier. Okay. Sorry about that. No, that's all right. Our... That's all right. Okay. Um so that's kind of a nice summary slide. I mean, it really just kind of does tie a lot of it all, all together. And it's, it is, um, um, anyway, um, I brought, so all of this, this entire slide deck, more of them are, uh, and the press release and just the top line question by question and our press release for this survey, as well as everything from our 2013 survey is available on our website. So if you go to realtor.org and type in community preference in the search bar near the top, it will take you to that page. But I did bring some, some copies of, of um, the top line and, and our, you know, these, the millennials like to um, 
what are these things called? What are you, infographics. Um, <laughs> I had a nice millennial at my office make one. Um, so I bought some copies of those, and um, as well as the top line. Um, and then we also, one other thing we put out uh, twice a year, and it's free, and if you want to get on the mailing list, just give me your card, but we put out this magazine called On Common Ground, which is, usually has about 10 stories about kind of land use and planning issues around the country, some of which mention realtors and some, some do not. Um, and each, each edition has a rough theme to it, transportation, healthy communities, parks. So I can put you on the list if you're interested in receiving that. We can just take a copy here tonight if you like. But are there any questions or thoughts? Yes. So you've done this a similar this or a similar survey? Oh, okay. Um, oh, you've done this or a similar survey for several years now. Have you looked at changes over time? A, a little bit. So um, you remember that pie chart? Yeah, that's, that's the one I'm most interested in. So this one back here, this has been shifting over time. Now, keep in mind that this time we did only metro areas, and all the other surveys have been just national. But over the core, as far as I can kind of trace it back, and you know, the, the wording changes slightly. But roughly, the um, the the walkable community has been growing more preferable by like percentage points over six or eight years. So these are these are in the closest state of equilibrium they've ever been. Usually, the conventional suburb has been has been winning out and they've kind of come into equilibrium. Can you correct for like the the bias in the metro area this time, Brown versus previous? Um, I guess so. We'd have to go back to the old data and pull out only the folks in metro areas. Um, I don't know if we, so this time we picked up people's zip codes, um, and I don't think we've done that in the past. So I'm not sure what geographic identifier we might have on them. But that's it, yeah. And then we, I don't know what the sample size would be left, because usually it's, it's been, I think the 2013 might have been 1,500 um, respondents. Um, so the, uh, the realtors are uh, gathering this data. Um, uh, how I mean, is that so altruistic, or is there actually a uh, how are you using this in terms of policies or other things? Is, is the the board actually advocating for more uh, walkable communities, or is it just information? Right, so our um, we are, um, we use the data in several ways. We get articles for it from, and put it in this magazine. We share it around on the website. Um, we are on the um, Complete Streets Steering Committee, National Complete Streets Coalition, and the Transportation for America. So, you know, sometimes when the, the federal funding stuff perks up, 
um, you know, sometimes having this data is a useful thing we can contribute to those efforts. Um, NAR, NAR is a very bottoms-up run organization. There are 800 people on our board of directors, and there are committees to run just about everything, or kind of oversee, or what have you. So, and we have policies on many things at the federal level. So we do have a transportation policy, and though that is, it is gathering dust, it's aging, um, they do, that policy, public policy, says that NAR supports an increase in the, I don't know if it says gas tax, or some, you know, funding mechanism to support transportation infrastructure. Um, and we, and the other reason we do this polling is we're very sure that um, that um, that there there is this you know what's being built still is not quite in alignment with market demand. So part of this is just shedding some light on on market, market. demand. Mm -hmm. And then our members, who in their local associations, get very involved with the city council, and so we, you can feed this to them, and then they can go to the city council and advocate for higher densities, mixed use, pro-transit, pro-bike, pro-walk uh, forms of policies. Yes. Since a lot of your analysis was done for that generational split, have you done any sort of thought process on how to phrase questions based on what might be biases between the different generations? So like some of your questions said, is X nearby? And there may be different definitions of what nearby is. Five minutes away by driving, but unreachable by any other mode, yep. maybe nearby for older generations, but not so much for younger generations. Right. Thereby calling into question everything I've just shown you. Unfortunately, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, so that is an interesting. Um, that would be a good refinement. Um, <laughs> for uh, future editions of this, uh, my hope is actually to start um, doing breaking these questions into like two sets because we think every two years is roughly right. But if we can kind of break things into a couple of different sets and do like set A one year, set B the next year, set A, set B, and do that. Um, so one of my things I want to do this year is really refine some what those pods of questions are. That's a great um, refinement also in terms of the language. Thank you for that. Yes. Um, yeah, I was also thinking about um, when you have the two community choices and whether you have the um, the word owning alone, and then a separate question about renting and where. Um, so, the up one, yeah, there. So, did yeah. So, did that that wording appear so in maybe two different questions? One with owning the word own only, and then another one with the word rent. No, I think I believe it was mixed. Okay. So we basically said no matter how you come to this dwelling, whether you own it or rent it, would you prefer yeah. one? Yeah. Um, so 
I'm from the millennial cohort. <laughs> and my friends are not a random sample, but um, I do hear a lot of different, I hear preferences, their preferences as to where they want to live change mm -hmm. when they start thinking about owning something um, versus renting. Um, so I was wondering if maybe there was some insight on that. I'm sorry, I caught, could you repeat that? Um, that I, I just I hear prefer different preferences in terms of what people actually want to own versus okay. where yeah. they want to rent, um, and what kind of dwelling they'd want to rent. Um, it, within just my the millennial cohort right. alone. Yeah. Um, Interesting question. Um, I don't know if we could tease that out of this, but that is one reason. I brought and you can download this again from our website, which is just the you know, the straight um, list of survey questions. So you can, you know, see exactly how we asked it and what the responses were like. And then, you know, you can email me with with um, thoughts of um, cross tabs that might be interesting or something that we haven't thought of. I'd be happy, you know, um, to get that. It would, it would be fun. I mean, it would make it more robust if people come up with different ways of looking at, at this data set. Um, so I urge you to take one. Thank you. <laughs> hmm. yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Does it offer any images that people can look in as they're answering the questions? I'm wondering if people from different generations have a different idea of what each of these attached multiple versus each has individual types of dwellings actually. Right, so that, that's a, um, we, we wondered that too in 2013 when we did the last version of this, and I think it was that one. Um, and we actually went in, so that, last, I think the 2013 was a pure internet survey, and one reason we wanted to go that route was because we thought we could show images, but we did um, two focus groups where we showed them images, and it was the most confused conversation. <laughs> um, so we backed out of that. We just decided not to use images at all. Um, what we did do for that one, because it was on a screen, is we put a more detailed description of what community A and B were like. So each one had like four or five bullet points descriptors of those communities. But yeah, now you would think it would because a picture is worth a thousand words, but it turned out to confuse things. And it cost us a lot of money to find that out. <laughs> yes? I'm not sure if it was just in your presentation or whether the, the, the data set was sort of structured that way, but it seemed like there was a real focus around the different generations. Um, and. Based on your previous answer, I mean, presumably the, the thought there was that maybe that gives you some sense of what the future markets are going to look like. Of course, the, the key presumption there is that these are reflecting lifestyle choices or do they reflect where they are in their lives? Right. Yeah. Uh, um, and I don't know if, there, if you've, you've got any data that would suggest that, in fact, these really are truly lifestyle choices that will continue. 
or whether, um, in fact, these generations will, their opinions will change as they age? Right. Um, it's a, yeah, we can't answer that. So the closest we come is with that children, you know, preference for a neighborhood where the millennials, with and without kids, both had, both those had a majority preferring a walkable community. Mm -hmm. But again, we don't know what age those kids were. I mean, if they're... Yeah. One to four, it's a vastly different. I guess the other thing would be, I mean, if you've had the, the data for, you said you've been doing this for like 15 years or so, but I mean, some of those people, I guess it's, right. they'll definitely be at a different point in their, their lives. Right. Um, and whether or not um, the, the, that age cohort have their opinions changed over that 15 years, although you yeah. probably didn't ask the same questions. We did not ask quite the same questions, and the data sets for our older ones surveys are not this big, no. so we might not be able to divide it into the four or eight right. cohorts and still have anything reliable. Yeah. Now, something unreliable, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hi. Uh, does your data factor in the age of the homes in which people actually live? No. <coughs> no. Um, we, we were going to try and pick up um, the exact their exact address if they were willing to provide that. Um, and our pollster said it was just so completely unethical to even ask that question. <laughs> so zip code is as close as we got. Um, anything else in terms of time series data that stand out to you? Uh, I'm particularly interested in, you know, people say that things are nearby. If, if we right. built a lot of new bike infrastructure, are suddenly more people reporting that bike infrastructure is nearby? Right, no doubt. Uh, that would be the case. Um, right. And what does nearby mean? Any other thoughts, comments? Ways we can make this better? <laughs> yes, all right behind you. In regards to the the data that talks about people wanting things that, that's, that are accessible, that are nearby, whether they can walk to it or drive to it. Um, would it would it be interesting to see whether or not people are looking in, for that in terms of employment opportunities or for just sort of leisure, recreation, recreational yeah. kinds of things? Because I imagine, I imagine, of course, we're talking about data, but imagining that maybe people who can have better access to employment opportunities might say, you know, what right. transit accessible would be. Which is a different question than saying you just want to have a shorter commute, I presume, although it's, it might yeah, be some overlap yeah. there. Um, right, and since they're, yeah, since they're together, just wondering if it would be, if you might find something different, right. because people might have shops and things that they could Right. We did, um, in a previous iteration of this, you can see we're just confused and tormented by actually how to ask these questions, because it, maybe it's the 2013 one. But the commute question, we actually asked separately, because we didn't, it's such a strong motivator of things, um, that we did not want it to confuse the other aspects of the community and where you are choosing to live. And I forget how that swayed the results. But you could find that on our website in 2013, I believe. And if you can't find that one. So yes, yeah, so we we yes, we've gone back 
Um, anybody else? based on what we know about what was seen as ideal uh, <coughs> type of residence for each generation. I think about the, the, uh, the silent uh, uh, greatest generation and how the, uh, the automobile and having your own individual detached house is such a, a push for them. Right. Uh, and I'm just curious what kinds of or assumptions uh, are you able to draw from that that might help define the younger generations and, and what is really pushing them? Right. Well, there's this slide. You know, what's your kind of, do you like to take transit, drive, walk, ride a bike, millennial, Gen X, baby boomers, silent greatest, and for the first for the younger three generations, the walking preference for walking exceeds the preference for driving. So here, I mean, but I don't know if this is just I'm old and my knees were giving out, you know, preference for driving over walking for this generation. Or if it's just, as you say, this is what they grew up with and it is how they have known living and it's or both. Or both. <laughs> okay, great. Well, thank you so much for your oh, presentation yeah. tonight. You bet. I'll be back in two years with more. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I have my card up here too, so really if you think of anything, you know, the beauty of SPSS. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll send out links um, in our follow-up email to tonight's program. Okay. Um, and then also next month we will have a presentation, a panel from the National uh, Recreation and Parks Association, the Arlington County Parks Commission, and the Arlington County um, Parks and Recreation. So please look for information on that and join us on March 15th. <laughs>